Adrian Peterson is taking care of things right now. Down the sideline. If he can get loose, he's gone. Illigway will score. The Wesley Fields. Touchdown. Georgia Southern. All right, Georgia Southern fans, thank you for joining us on Georgia Southern Extra Podcast. Good to be here after a win this week, and I'm glad that football season has finally started. Greg, how are you? I'm doing good, Travis. I had a good time calling the first Georgia Southern game on ESPN Plus over the weekend. I think there were positives and negatives for the game that we'll get into, but I think overall, after week one, it seems like across the board, Eagle Nation is pretty enthused. Yeah, and for good reason, too. Georgia Southern performed really well, I think, Considering all the new coordinators, all the new players, um, Lunsford's first game as as the full time head coach. Um, we'll jump right into our four downs. Greg, I'll start. Um, I guess my first down would be that I like that that Chad Lunsford wants to celebrate every win. And so following following the game, he was asked in the press conference if um, they would celebrate the win given that it was against, you know, a clearly inferior opponent and, you know, how long would they celebrate it until they moved on to preparing for UMass? Um, and he said, look, we'll, we're going to celebrate everywhere after what happened last year. Um, and, and I like that because it's easy for a coach to say that, you know, we played, if we won, we still played bad. And, and I don't want to celebrate too much because we, we have a bunch of things to improve on and, and, you know, all that jazz, Greg, but, it's kind of refreshing to hear a coach say, yeah, winning is fun. Winning is good. And I'm going to celebrate it every time we do that. So I don't know what, what your take on that, Greg, was, but I liked it. I thought it was refreshing. You know which coach didn't do that? <laughs> I can name a few. Well, let's start with Tyson Summers. I mean, the, the fact of the matter yeah. is that the kids are so bought in to Chad Lunsford and his coaching staff that it's a really refreshing to see uh, and entering the season, Travis, like we were talking about, it seems like Vegas is pinning them, you know, six wins-ish. Again, compared to what happened last year, I love that Chad Lunsford has, I mean, I asked him early last week, getting ready for the ESPN broadcast, I said, are you going to rest your starters in the second half? What's the plan? He said, we were 2-10 and 10 last year. We're treating every game like it's the Super Bowl. And I love that attitude. And I feel like as long as they don't crap the bed against uh, an inferior team later in the year, there's going to be a, a swell of momentum and pride as the year goes along in Statesboro. That's going to be fun to watch. Yeah, I kind of feel the same thing coming on. Greg, what's your second now? All right, my second down is, oh, my God, Shy Wirtz. What do you think, Travis? <laughs> I mean, I don't have the final stats in front of me, but he was well over 150 yards rushing, three rushing touchdowns. He was in complete command of that offense, and even when South Carolina State defense and the linemen and the linebackers burst to the line it, it most of the time it didn't matter I was able to turn left turn right run the option get out of there pick up five ten yards last year shy was not in command of this offense from the very first snap of the very first game of 2018 shy Wirtz is completely in command of this team in this offense and I for the first time since he's been a starting quarterback finally feel like I'm able to see what everybody inside that program has been saying that they've seen for a while now. Yes, Wirtz was fantastic. I, I, let's see, I have the numbers here. So he was 22 carries, 163 net yards, three TDs with a long of 23 yards, seven and a half per carry. But, you know, I guess working right into my third down, Greg, would be the comfortable is the word of the, of the week 
for Georgia Southern and Cy Wirtz has said all offseason how comfortable he was and he certainly looked more than comfortable on Saturday when I don't know if you saw this Greg a, a few of the plays kind of either broke down on Wirtz's part or on somebody's part where someone went the wrong way even in those instances it wasn't like uh, you know it was panic mode and and you know Wirtz just slides down he made something out of nothing when there was nothing there. And then a few times, especially once he got outside of the tackle box, um, I mean, he was fantastic with his decisions and whether or not to pitch it, whether or not to fake pitch it. Um, his, his first touchdown on that fake pitch, Greg, and you had a great call on ESPN uh, Plus, but that first touchdown on that fake pitch was something that, you know, in watching all the film of words, I, I haven't seen him be really good at, and he was, excellent that on Saturday so you know for me his his comfort level was evident on Saturday and really it's not just Wirtz because Lunsford has said that he's noticed how comfortable Wirtz is I'm beginning to notice how comfortable Chad Lunsford is um, in this role and, and and really how prepared he is for this especially for a first-year coach so for me that's that's my third down is that the comfort level of Wirtz is beginning, at least to me, to be evident in a bunch of other people, and there just seems to be general comfort in the building. Now, I don't want to say comfort as complacency, but just, um, you know, kind of a, a, a confidence. I, I think what you mean to say about it is like, it's kind of like a feeling of belonging. Yeah, yeah, like you, like you expect to perform well and to do well. Um, and before right. the last two years, that's always been the feeling in Statesboro. It's kind of, it's nice to see that returning so far. At least it's only been one game, of course. All right, and my fourth down, and I don't, I, I promise I don't mean this to sound dismissive, although I'm afraid it might. Uh, you and I spent a lot of time the last couple of weeks, Travis, leading up to this first game, talking about the wide receivers being like, oh, is it going to be Obi Fortune starting? Is it going to be Colby Ranson starting? I, I I kind of feel like it almost doesn't matter who starts a wide receiver because I feel like we're yep. really not going to see this team throw very much. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think I agree. With I, you. I, I think I, yeah. I, I think entering the year because the team had thrown a, a good amount over the last two years well, under under Tyson Summers and at least at the end of last year through Chad Lunsford. I think we were expecting more like I don't know, uh, ten fifteen passes a game. I don't have the numbers in front of me. I bet it was less than ten, right? Oh, yeah, I think it was – let's see. So, it's here. Uh, Wirtz was the only one that threw a pass. If you're not counting Tyler right. Bass's uh, PAT, I guess we'll get into that later. Uh, Shy Wirtz was 5 of 7. So, yeah, not – Yeah, not I was going to say it was, it, was le- it, was le- it was less than 10 passes. Uh, so, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, I don't think we're going to be talking a whole lot about the wide receivers as the season goes along. I think Chad Lunsford is dedicated with his option guru and Bob DeVest to sticking to the option. And – I think that's what we're going to see. I think we're probably going to see less than 10 passes a game probably throughout the whole season, unless they're playing a team that has an unbelievable front seven like Troy, in which case they'll have to move the ball downfield through the air. Right, and I think if if you told Georgia Southern and Georgia Southern fans that you know they wouldn't go a game this year without throwing more with throwing more than 10 passes, that means you had you're having an incredible year. I think that's that's the season going well is that you don't have to throw the ball. And you don't, you know, right. you're not forced to come from behind. So, you know, again, all this is prefacing that it's only been one game. Um, but, yeah, I think maybe we paid attention to the receivers a little too much. Of course, I'm guilty of 
that as well. So, yeah, let's jump right into the depth chart, Greg. I don't know if you had a chance to look at the new, I guess I'll call it the new depth chart this week, but there's, a, you know, a, a change or two here and there. I guess most notably on the offensive line, left guard, they will, it looks like um, they'll slot in Aaron Dowdell there instead of Jacob Cooper for this week. Greg, I guess first, how, how did you think the, the offensive line played on Saturday and, and uh, did you see anything, you know, that stuck out to you? Uh, I was impressed with how they moved on the option and, and creating space for guys once they'd already rounded the corner. I was not impressed with up-the-gut dive off-tackle runs. Uh, yeah. Wesley Fields was given almost no space all day, yeah. and that's not going to cut it starting in a couple of weeks when they play Arkansas State. Yeah, I mean, I'm the same way, and that's been the story all offseason, right, is that that, that inside zone. You know, it's just go, it's going absolutely the – they're going nowhere. It goes nowhere, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and when you play these better teams, if you don't have the threat of being able to gas up the middle for at least a, you know a four yard average, then really you're gonna you're gonna close off the entire outside because there is no threat up the middle. You don't have to account for it as a defense, especially a, you know a better defense than South Carolina State's defense. Um, yeah, I don't so, know I mean, that UMass is not exactly a defensive threat, uh, and, exactly, and we know yeah. that Clemson's got the best front four in the country, so that game's gonna be what it's gonna be. It, 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 we're not gonna know anything about about this offense, I feel like really until that Arkansas State game, because I, I can't yeah. imagine they'll have a whole lot of trouble scoring against UMass. UMass is all offense, no defense. They might as well be a Big Twelve team. So we'll we'll see what happens in in that Arkansas State game. But yeah, I, I was really impressed on the offense with Shy Wirtz. I was really impressed with West Kennedy. Uh, the the, the oh, running anywhere except to the outside really needs some work because they only moved the ball along the outside this week. Right. And, and you know, just for anyone that didn't know, Georgia Southern tallied 319 total rushing yards. Basically a third of that came by way of shy where it's on the outside. So um, I guess we'll get into UMass real quick, Greg. Uh, Georgia Southern last year, obviously this game was, did not go as planned last year. Georgia Southern allowed 670 yards of total offense. And UMass will return oh, a lot. Oh. So, yeah. <laughs> so, and it cost Tyson Summers' job. So, UMass is going to return a lot of those guys um, to Statesboro on Saturday at 5 p.m. And I guess, you know, it's up to the Georgia Southern defense to respond in a way. I think what Vegas has right now is 61 and a half total points. I think the winner of this game is for sure going to have to score, you know, 25, 30-plus points. And, but, but Georgia Southern's defense would do well by itself to, to limit uh, for their senior quarterback and this offense because there's certainly plenty of weapons that they're all going to have to account for. Yeah, so, so there are two stories entering this game for me, Travis. Number one is the – well, the best way to say this is that it's not going to be Georgia Southern's offense that wins this game. It's going to be how much the Georgia Southern defensive secondary – and Josh Moon and Monquavian Brinson and, and even guys like Tamarcio Reese, how much they can limit the UMass passing attack through the air because UMass mm-hmm. dropped a 60-burger on Duquesne in week one, and, the, and the, even though it was not close for them against Boston College last week, they were able to move the ball through the air. 
So Georgia Southern sure. needs to have their secondary play probably, arguably, one of their best games of the year because they're not going to see a team that throws the ball as much as UMass probably outside of Arkansas State the rest of the year. So the question is, how many points can this defense that's probably going to get winded hold the UMass offense to? Uh, mm-hmm. This one smells to me like the first team to 28 or 35. Yeah, yeah, and I would agree 100%. A few quick notes about this game as far as positions go. So we said that Vegas has a 61-and-a-half. Georgia Southern right now, when we record on Tuesday afternoon, is a two-and-a-half to three-point favorite, depending on who you look at. And, Greg, you, well, you usually get two points in college for just being at home. So really what Vegas is saying is this is a pick em game. Um, and I, I see it the same way. I don't know how close this game is going to be just because of the UMass's offense and and um, Georgia Southern's offense are kind of polar opposites. UMass uh, can really can really throw the ball downfield and they can score quickly and get a bunch of yards in big chunks. Georgia Southern, as you know, is, is not really the same way. So. You know, it's going to be key for Georgia Southern to limit their three and outs on offense. I guess that's fairly obvious. I think they only had one three and out against South Carolina State, and they're going to need to convert on third down. So the same stuff that they're, you know, that they've said they've worked on and worked to improve is going to be shown in this game. Um, another kind of key thing, Greg, that I wanted to ask you about, Lunchford has really talked about cleaning up the the play on the field and, and being disciplined pre-snap. And that showed on Saturday they only had one pre-snap yeah. penalty. Yep. Um, and so that, that really, for me, is nothing more than coaching and emphasis on that. What, what do you think? I was really impressed. I, I, I turned to my color commentator, Danny Waugh. I think it was in the third, late in the second quarter, early in the third quarter. The first time we had a flag, I looked at him and I was like, was that the first flag we've had today? Like, it was a yeah. pre-snap flag. It was really nice. It was really rare. And considering some clutch spots in the year last time, yeah, last year where that happened to Georgia Southern, I was overall impressed. The, um, and Travis, I want to touch on this, too, before I get into the interview. The one thing that I am really, 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 really watching for this coming Saturday is how long Georgia Southern's offense can sustain drives and stay on the mm-hmm. field. Because the UMass yeah. passing attack is going to be relentless, and the Georgia Southern secondary is going to be sweating bullets. It's going to be hot. They're going to be winded. They're going to be tired. This, I think, might be a game, if Southern plays it right, that this thing drags into the fourth quarter, and it's close. Georgia Southern's offense needs to stay on the field and give their defense a chance to rest because, again, this UMass attack, it's going to be all day from every angle in the air. You need to make sure your guys on Southern aren't winded on defense. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. There's going to be a big, big burden on this secondary and really the defense as a whole at the offense cannot sustain drags. And, again, this is all stuff that is key in this game, but you know, generally just going to be key for Georgia Southern. Um, all year. A few other quick notes on UMass. They did have a, a, a few suspensions, and, you, and you'll hear about all that in, in the interview um, with Curry Hicks Sage, but they did have a few um, suspensions that, against Boston College and even Duquesne. Um, so they're getting healthy now. They'll get their cornerback and probably one of their best players on the team back. His name is is missing here right now. I can't think of his name, but but they'll get their starting cornerback and, and really their best player on defense back. So 
Georgia Sun, you know, is going to have a defense that they can attack, but we'll see how well they can move it. Let's see. Moving on. Uh, Greg, I wanted to kind of mention this, and I'm sure the school will have something out um, on this anniversary. Saturday is the, is the anniversary of Irk Russell's death. He died September 8th in 2012. Um, and so, like I said, I'm sure something will come out from the school and there'll be some sort of, you know, memorial or something for him. Um, but really, every year around this time, it's, I guess, the time to reflect on his importance on this program. Obviously, it's not lost on anybody. There's Eric Russell um, everywhere, and, you know, everyone kind of evokes his famous sayings, and obviously his statue is right there by the field. But it is kind of unique the way that Irk Russell has continued to shape a program even after his death. So, um, you know, at least that's my opinion on it. That's my take on it, that, that he still has influence even after dying. So that's pretty rare to me, Greg. Yeah, and I think it's a positive thing, uh, and especially having a guy like Chad Lunsford who's been around this program for so long and, and understands not only the, the system and, and the history that Irk brought, but more importantly, the the vibe and the culture around this program of when it wins. I, I, I have thought for so much of my life, because I'm from the West Coast, if you're listening, you didn't know that, I'm from San Francisco and Portland. Uh, yeah. Out there, the whole idea of a blank program guy, I've always kind of rolled my eyes at and thought that doesn't mean anything. It's just coach speak. It's, it's an excuse to way. hire somebody who, who went to the program. I, I I am coming around on that when it comes to Chad Lunsford. I think a coach who understands how to get things accomplished and understands why things have happened at a university over a long-term amount of time and, and how to execute right. success, I, I, I'm coming around that I think that Chad Lunsford, understanding what makes Georgia Southern a successful place when it is successful, drawing back to Irk, the history he's had, uh, I think it's a really positive thing, and I think Georgia Southern did the right thing by hiring Chad and, more importantly, hiring a guy who understands the legacy and the success and what makes the program unique. Yeah, I couldn't couldn't agree more. I mean, I've always been the same way. I, you know, kind of rolled my eyes at, at, at that philosophy of a program guy and a guy that's been there. But, yeah, it's it's clearly catching on, and it's clearly worked thus far as far as the culture change goes. So, let's see, Greg, you get any more thoughts from you as far as wrapping up South Carolina State or, or previewing UMass? Uh, I think I got Georgia Southern 35 to 31 on Saturday. What about you? Yeah, I don't know that I have a final score yet. I do think that, that uh, you know, I picked Massachusetts at the beginning of the year. Worst-case scenario for Georgia Southern is that Massachusetts is coming off of really a shellacking to the hands of Boston College. So, I, you know, you never want to play a team coming off of a big win. I'm hesitant to pick Georgia Southern still, but I, I will stick with Georgia Southern. And I'll say that, um, you know, let's see, I'll go with – I'll go 40 to 28. I don't know that it's going to be a one-score game either way, but I do feel safe in saying that the winner of this game will score 30-plus points. Rock and, and roll. Yeah, I think it's gonna, yeah. I think it's a race to a certain number. I really do. Yeah, I would agree with that. And so, Greg, you want to tell the people how they can watch on Saturday at 5 o'clock? Yeah, uh, I thought it was 6 o'clock. 6 o'clock. Yeah. I want to make sure I wasn't going to show up late to the game. Okay, so just <laughs> like last week, it's on ESPN+. Plus. The new Georgia Southern uh, through ESPN over-the-top subscription service. 
Uh, it's $5 a month. You can watch every Sunbelt Conference game and a lot of the other mid-major conferences, too. And for better or worse, it's the only way to watch it now. So unless you want to listen on the radio, which you can, uh, it's $5 a month. Uh, and you can cancel it any time. So if you just want to buy it for the three months to watch all the Georgia Southern games, you can do that. It'll run you $15 total. Uh, so just Google ESPN Plus and figure out how to watch it. Awesome. And, yeah, you'll want to keep up with Georgia Southern on savannahnow.com as well. savannahnow.com slash sports or savannahnow.com slash podcast for this podcast streaming. Also, rate and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Google, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. appreciate you guys listening, and we'll definitely be back next week to talk in about the UMass game and then preview what's coming up in Death Valley and Clemson. Hey, Georgia Southern fans, this is Zach Dennis, the podcast producer here with a quick note before we go to the interview that Travis did with Curry Hicks Sage about UMass. I wanted to remind you about the Do Savannah Big Calendar. Uh, if you're doing events in the Savannah area, you're wondering what to do, uh, whether it's food, whether it's drinks, whether it's just doing something with the family, arts and crafts, whatever, what have you, really anything, uh, you can go to dosavannah.com slash calendar to find that. Uh, if you're looking for a Sunday activity, you're, you've just Watch George Southern climb to the mountain peak. You know, maybe maybe an upset of, of Clemson. Who knows? <laughs> but if you're looking for a, for a, something to decompress the next day with, there's a lot of fun activities around the Savannah area. And Do Savannah has it on the big calendar. So again, DoSavannah.com/calendar. Thank you. All right, guys. We have Curry Hicks Sage with us. Uh, he covers UMass. You can find him on Twitter and follow his podcast, UMass Basketball Podcast. Called the basketball podcast, but they touch on Minutemen football a lot. Uh, Curry, thanks for joining us, man. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, glad to be here. So we got UMass and Georgia Southern coming up this weekend. Uh, familiar game in the sense that last year they played each other. Uh, it was the game that led to Tyson Summers being fired as the Georgia Southern head coach. Uh, Curry, I think is UMass one and one so far. How have they looked to you so far this season? Freaking out because I don't think 
the UMass fans expected a win against Boston College, but people were reasonably confident that UMass would be competitive in the game. It was 48-7 at half, and and it was just a disaster. So it would be a really interesting game. Great. And what I've seen and read and heard um, about UMass and, and the brief time that I've been trying to you know get ready to preview them, it seems like there's a lot of similarities between UMass and, and their program and Georgia Southern and its program in the sense that, you know, there's high expectations or hopeful expectations, but really we don't know a lot yet. Georgia Southern is coming off their win over South Carolina State, which is, um, you know, an FCS opponent from the MEAC. And so there's still a lot of questions. All offseason we've pointed to this UMass game as the first measuring stick. And like you said, this might be the first game that UMass has played where you're on equal ground. Is is this game, you know, has it been circled on UMass's calendar, or at least for the fan base? Well, I wouldn't say it's been circled on the calendar in so far only because week two against Boston College was circled on the calendar. But I think people who follow the program particularly closely had this circled to a degree in so far as they were saying, all right, well, we kind of know we're going to open one and one. Uh, you know, a weak FCS opponent and then a really strong um, ACC opponent on the road. Let's let's see who we are after Georgia State. So I think this game and UMass's following game right after this, which I believe is at Ohio, um, those two people are looking at, or no, sorry, the next, next game is actually at uh, Florida Atlantic. Those two, um, before UMass returns home for some, some weaker opponents, um, I think people are looking at it very closely because if UMass wants to get to a bowl game this year, these are the sorts of games you have to at least split it. You have to you have to go on the road and beat somebody. And UMass has, since joining the FBS in 2012, I saw a stat today. It's like one in 21 on the road in non-conference games. Um, and well, we haven't even had a conference the last two or three years, so um, we left after you know going independent and leaving the MAC. So, um, but you know, UMass has they beat BYU on the road late last year to kind of get over that hump, and that was a huge win for the program. And, and that um, kind of gave a lot of people a lot of hope uh, moving forward as UMass finished 4-2 after starting 0-6 last year, including, of course, the win over Georgia Southern. But, yeah, I, I don't know if, like, if certainly the casual fans didn't have it circled, but I think that the people who follow the program closely and will be listening to this podcast probably to some degree were, were very aware of, of the significance of this game. Uh, well, let's jump right into to previewing, um, you know, all three phases for UMass. For Georgia Southern fans, if you could – Kind of go through the offense for us and what what Georgia Southern should expect scheme wise. You know, their running team, passing team. Um, what what does UMass like to do with the ball? Or UMass will mix it up. Um, I, I'm also going to give a shout out to a big friend of our pod who goes by Zach is God on Twitter. He's a real schematics guy, and uh, I'm I'm much more so on that front, basketball than football. So I I always want to sort of check my check with him before the episodes to just make sure I add some of the you know, specifics, right, because, uh, you know, I can break down zone defenses and well, but in football, I'm always like, you know, a, a little, uh, you know, which is maybe typical of a certain subset of UMass fans, but anyway, Zach, Zach's great, so he's just pointing out, you know, uh, basically, Whipple really loves the pro-style offense, um, definitely an emphasis on the passing game, although this year's team has two, kind of three really quality backs, including Marquise Young, who's a senior who's gone for basically just under a thousand yards every year if I'm not mistaken. He goes anyway and pretty much every season he's gotten for like between eight hundred and nine ninety or something. So he's a big dude, definitely has the ability to, to make it to the next level. If he he's if he gets 
uh, in the open field, he, he can be very dangerous, but there's also a lot of carries for, you know, he's a big back, so there's a lot of carries for two, three, four yards. Um, and and I, I still, and UMass still, and, and then there's a kid, Bilal Ali, who's been really good, and actually the UMass beat writer for the Daily Hampshire Gazette, which is a local paper near um, campus, mm-hmm. was predicting on Twitter just the other day that, um, he thinks Bilal Ali could become the feature back this year. It's a little bit of a hot take in that Marquise has been the guy for three years. But, you know, they, 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 uh, Ali's a little bit, uh, maybe a little shiftier, a little smaller, um, can bounce to the edge a little bit. He's pretty solid. And then they actually have a, a third running back who scored late in the Boston College game who had didn't play the opener, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Jordan Frederick, who's a Syracuse transfer, put up pretty big numbers there as a freshman. And then, um, didn't do much to sophomore and transferred. Uh, so they have a good complement of running backs this year, but the emphasis is still very much on the passing game. Uh, Andrew Ford, who is a lefty um, third-year starter, thrown for over 50 touchdowns. Last year was uh, 22 TDs and four to his four picks. Um, can 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 hit the you know hit the deep ball pretty well. Um, not not much of a runner, um, but a really a really accurate passer. And a good game manager struggled a lot against Boston College. I think they, they said that you know the UMass offensive line was a little bit overwhelmed by uh, BC's, particularly their linebacker. Um, but he's really solid. Andrew Ford is really solid. He originally committed to Virginia Tech. Um, it was like a state player of the year, I believe, in Pennsylvania. So he's got a very impressive pedigree, and then didn't work out of Virginia Tech. So eventually, UMass has been very strong. Um, that said, they'll mix it up and they will bring in off the bench Ross Comis, um, who's a fifth-year senior quarterback who's, you know, played a lot of drives throughout his career. But basically, as the backup, um, he is uh, the only way I could describe him is, and it sounds it sounds funny, but it's like he's like a poor man's Johnny Manziel. He's <laughs> athlete, he's athletic. He moves around. He runs around a lot. Gets out of the pocket. Also, but prone to like very frustrating mistakes. You know, he'll. He'll run 22 yards and then cough it up instead of sliding. That that kind of a player brings mm-hmm. a different type of energy. And um, but you know, Ford is the is the is the premier guy. Um, and then they have a lot of really talented wide receivers. The the, the best of whom, and, and I'm not trying to hype you, Their offense is very good. I won't be saying the same about their team. <laughs> but um, they have um, the the best, probably most next level ready guy on the offense is guy as a, as a senior named Andy Isabella who is um, a a tiny you know tiny sort of slot-ish receiver mm-hmm. who or that's how he would translate probably at the next level mm-hmm. um, you know sort of a Wes Welker type um, guy but he's lightning fast he was the um, state champion in uh, Ohio in uh, track and field and he had no offers and he's just a monster worker who's turned himself into a you know, a thousand yard receiver last year and has uh, been really impressive in the first, I think he's gone over a hundred in the first two games this year. Um, so he's really, really, really talented. Um, and just incredibly quick. He's, he's, I mean, he can't, he's probably five ten. He's, he's an undersized guy, maybe even less, but lightning fast. And then they just have a bevy of other solid, um, wide receivers, Brennan Dingle, Sadiq Palmer, a couple other guys. So they, they can definitely score. Um, I mean, in the last, you know, even last year when they opened 0-6, they were losing games like 58-50 to 50 to Ohio. Yeah. And, um, you know, so the point, putting up points is not the issue on this football team. I, I, as George Southern fans probably can remember from last year, they, they'll mix it up. And then just stylistically, um, you know, the one thing they're missing this year is kind of the 
they've had some great tight ends, including um, Penn State transfer who graduated last year and would have been an NFL pick, but his career was ruined due to injuries. But this kid, Adam Brenneman, who was like uh, an all-everything tight end, uh, was getting a lot of All-American conversation last year, but he's gone. Um, so, you know, uh, the O-line can be a little slow at times and struggle against um, quick defensive ends and linebackers. But, uh, you know, they, they have the size. They're huge to uh, get a decent push off the ball, especially against, you know, not power five opponents. So it'll be really interesting to see how they in particular play, um, you know, on this uh, in this game. Yeah, it should be interesting because Georgia Southern, I would I would say, prides themselves on at least this year on their defense and especially their front seven. As far as experience goes on the offensive side, are, are they returning a lot of starters? Would you would you qualify them as yeah, a veteran side? They re- yeah, it's a veteran group. Um, they, they, the only, I mean, besides losing Brenneman, the only guy they lost actually was like an all-everything lineman um, who actually transferred and I believe started at Auburn this past weekend who's a um, graduate transfer. It was a it was really disappointing loss. He was really good. Mm-hmm. But basically they return everybody on offense um, besides that. So, um, you know, they and even against BC when they were playing terribly, like they were moving the ball. They, I mean, they turned it over up four. Um, you know, there was a couple of those type of mistakes. So, uh, you know, they, they can they can score. I mean, that is they scored sixty three against Duquesne. Obviously, it's yeah. not you know representative of much, but I mean, they they have a ton of offensive weapons. Um, it's just about um, kind of keeping their defense off the field um, and. And um, limiting pressure, I think. I mean, yeah. The more, the more time that Ford has to throw the ball, the more dangerous he is. He's not really going to run around and make plays on his feet. So if you can get pressure on him, uh, Georgia Southern, you know, that that's a, that's a definitely a key. Um, but the offensive lineman is good. The offensive line is good, not great, I would say. Solid, but not, you know, not the skill. The skill players are definitely the the uh, the strength of this team. Offensive skill players. So, yeah, and I think in looking at um, the Vegas line and over-under, I think they would agree with you. I, the over-under I've seen is 65.5 total points. So I think that they're they're expecting it to be a high-scoring game. From what it sounds like, um, it, it probably will be. So we'll, we'll shift over to the defensive side now. Um, Georgia Southern, as you know, they, they've, they've gone through kind of a culture scheme change. They're still – Heavy on the run, heavy on the option, but it's but it's coming out of the shotgun now. Um, they spread it out more, and they really have leaned on Shy Wirtz uh, in the first game against South Carolina State. When Georgia Southern has the ball, uh, what can Eagles fans expect from the UMass defense as far as scheme goes? Well, Ed Pinkham, the defensive coordinator who um, came from Western Michigan and after uh, P.J. Fleck left to go to Minnesota, mm-hmm. Um, some people thought he was going to get a head job there, I guess, but he ended up coming to UMass. He likes to be aggressive. He's in his second year. Uh, he likes to be aggressive with the linebackers uh, and use them to get pressure on the quarterback, but that really isn't a factor this week, I guess, because Georgia Southern really right. rarely passes. So the outside linebackers, you know, and this is from, from my, my buddy Zach. He's making this point. Mm-hmm. I'm, just par- I'm just parroting his insights. He says, uh, you know, the outside linebackers need to do a better job this week getting off blocks. Defensive line is going to have to be patient with the triple option, obviously. And the D-backs, where it, which is really the strength of the UMass defense, mm-hmm. uh, very, very good returning corners, need to have a big week helping with those outside runs from Wirtz. He's, you know, I'm told he's very fast. You can obviously speak to this better. Yeah. He runs that triple option a lot better than the kid uh, Summers, or the, the coach Summers last year mm-hmm. uh, did. 
it, or so you know so so people are saying yeah and and um that's accurate know, so, i think yeah i mean it's interesting because because the corners so isaiah rogers who may be the most nfl ready player on the team a cornerback who had uh, pick six against mississippi state last year and in, in addition to another pick against them and is a really truly pretty much a shutdown corner did not play against bc and he also did not play against duquesne we're told he is returning this week that's a big boost but maybe it's not as much of a boost because it's not it's not as if you guys are going to be passing much right so um so in in a certain sense the the strength of the umass defense which is its secondary um may be somewhat negated against uh against a, a a run a run centric offense that such as yours the run for Georgia Southern, and I guess this is fairly obvious, but if you can stop Georgia Southern and any team that runs the option on first down and, and you know, keep them behind the chains or, or to second and third and longs, Georgia Southern would tend to struggle in that scenario. Does UMass have the guys up front, do you think, to be able to stop that, or will they have to bring extra pressure in order to do that? I think they'll have to bring extra pressure. I mean, the guys up front are um, – more inexperienced than the other units. They did lose a, de- a decent amount there from last year's team. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the linebacking core is very solid, led by um, – led. But it's, I wouldn't say very solid. The, the, the core linebacker, who's kind of the captain of the defense, um, Brighton Barr, he's actually in his seventh or eighth year in college football. He missed wow. like two or three full seasons and then transferred to UMass for his final two. Um, he's an absolute stud. He had like 17 tackles last week. I mean, he's just – he's everywhere. So he's really good. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, it's going to be a real test for this defensive line. I mean, it's – it's. I, I think people kind of understand that they struggled against BC. But they haven't – if I'm not mistaken, they haven't recorded a sack yet this year. So, um, you know, that that's definitely probably going to be where the game is won or lost. I mean, it's, it's – can, can they get that pressure, particularly on first down, as you said? Um, they have some talent there. But it's it's um you know that's that's definitely I mean if Georgia Southern can can dominate a first down and move the ball effectively UMass is in trouble. All right, well, Curry, before we let you go, I guess if you want to um, give us a prediction or how you think this game might might turn out or you know a key to the game or whatever, then uh, Gosh, I'm, I'm putting I'm, you on the spot. I'm, I'm hedging my bets here a little if I, if I can because I, I, I'm it's really good. it could go out one of two ways. I think I mean it was a demoralizing loss for UMass and. You know, Brighton Bar after the game, like, sort of pulled a little bit of, like, a Tebow after Ole Miss all those years back when he was like, this will never happen again right. kind of thing. And I do think there's going to be, like, a, a new focus. So I could see UMass just playing good, solid football, moving the ball, making, not making the kind of dumb, careless turnover type mistakes they played last week. Yeah. And, um, you know, having played BC, I think it'll be it'll be a little bit of a nice antidote to go to go against the you know frankly just a less skilled um, offense. So I could see UMass winning the game. Like it's funny because I, I kind of either see it as like UMass like forty two twenty eight or Georgia Southern like forty two twenty eight. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's I don't see it being the two and a half point type game that that they're that Vegas is forecasting mm-hmm. which way that will go I just I think a lot of it as often is the case at it, 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 the you know non-power five level in early September is really a matter of execution mm-hmm. limiting penalties just like you know um, making the right reads making you know good coverage in the secondary like so 
So I think it, it, a lot of it's going to just come down to sort of like who executes their game plan. I realize that's a bit of a cliche and a cop out, yeah. but I could, I, I, you know, I could, and also I think who wins the turnover battle. Um, right. That's something that um, Chad Munster, the head coach at Georgia Southern, has harped on over and over again is winning the turnover battle. Yeah, and UMass made some really. I mean, the score was obviously a blowout last week, but UMass was dry. You know. Marquise Young ran a 73-yard kickoff back, and they were at the four, and they turned it over. And uh, there was, there was, you know, there was just like one or two other dumb turnovers. So, um, which is pretty fairly uncharacteristic of certainly a Ford in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do expect he'll bounce back as a senior, and they'll put up some points. Um, whether that will be like four scores or six, kind of depends. I think on on you know Whipple's game plan, and you know. Um, so yeah, it, UMass is a very fickle team and has been since since joining since Whipple came back for the second time. He obviously was there in '98 when UMass beat Georgia Southern in the national title. I'm surprised. Uh, you brought up that. a you brought up a sore subject there, man. I remember that game. I was in like seventh grade. I grew up near campus, and I remember I remember the game vividly because it was a uh, it was the same day Bill Clinton was impeached, if I'm not mistaken. Um, <laughs> wow. And and uh, but I just remember like Georgia Southern was so. Uh, they were running the option at then too, right? Oh yeah, man. They, yeah, they've been running the option for a long time. So, um, you know, I think Whipple will, will know sort of what to do. But you know, that game was like fifty-five forty-three. Last year was what, like fifty-five twenty, something like that. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. So, I mean, there'll be points scored for sure. Uh, and I'm just gonna say, but you know, UMass is this, is this kind of team that you know, like they they won at BYU last year and they lost handily at. Um, Coastal Carolina. So you don't always know which UMass team is going to show up. Georgia Southern can definitely relate to the losing handily at, at Coastal Carolina. They lost last year to finish their season, really inexplicably. Yeah. So I mean, maybe it's maybe it's even. I, I guess I would, I'm not going to go higher than like I'm not going to go 49-35 because just because I feel like since since these teams sort of are you know they, they'll, be, they'll be locked in enough that like they know that it's going to be high scoring and so the yeah. defense will come a little bit. But I still think you're, you're not, you know, you're definitely going to see some points. Um, so it's really just a matter of who shows up. And I think, in particular, like UMass has to get off to a good early start. I think it's the kind of team that, you know, does thrive a little when they have a little confidence, a little pep in their step. And you saw, you know, last week once they fell behind, it was actually seven-seven. Um, Ross Comas, the backup quarterback, came in and had a great drive and sort of gave them some energy. Um, and then, you know. A bad penalty, and it became you know all of a sudden it just spiraled incredibly yeah. quickly. So you know I would I would look at like whoever's winning by a you know whoever goes up a touchdown first or maybe you know two scores first, I, I, I think we'll definitely run away with it and could even see it being a two or three score game. But I just I just have a hard time seeing it. Maybe I mean who knows? Maybe it's a shootout, and maybe it's you know whoever has the ball last wins. But um, I, I kind of think 42-28, 42-31, either way, whoever whoever kind of takes control of the game. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to pick UMass just because um, if they don't win, if it, their backs are against the wall here. Let's put it that way. It, it's, it's all but a must-win situation. And kind of for both teams, as far as I understand. Corey, thanks a lot, man. We'll certainly be out there in, Twitter, in the Twitterverse as well, man. Thanks a lot. We'll talk soon. All right, man. T- thanks. Thank you. Oh, he will. Adrian Peterson is taking care of things right now. Down the sideline. If he can get loose, he's gone. Illegal. 
Wesley Fields. Touchdown, Georgia Southern.